This is Sheila Hollinghead, Search for a Peaceful Life. Today, today the title of our episode is Fear and Work. Why is our work often trite, deflated, and weak? Why does it sometimes stink? Fear is the short answer. Ideally, Christians should live without fear. I recently read about Bob Dylan being given this advice. No fear, no envy, no meanness. No fear. That's the difficult one for me. Sometimes I overthink things and hesitate to say the words that are true to me. The fear of offending makes me try too hard to please. By trying to please men instead of God, my words are empty or left unsaid. Because of fear, the words that escape my fingers as I type are only misshapen vessels. And instead of building something of beauty, as does a glass blower, I'm writhing in pain because I breathe in instead of out. I hold in even those words of healing, of love, of encouragement, afraid they will be rejected or misunderstood. God says repeatedly throughout the Bible to not fear. And there's an example of this in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And let's listen to these words carefully. Don't fear, though the earth gives way. Don't fear, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Don't fear, though its waters roar and foam. Don't fear if the mountains tremble at its swelling. But fear does cloud my writing. Question is, what can I do to overcome that fear? Last week, I, I watched a video of J.K. Rowling, who gave the commencement speech at Harvard in 2008. And she touched on this very topic, the topic of fear. She said, what I feared most for myself was not poverty, but failure. Ultimately, we all have to decide for ourselves what constitutes failure. But the world is quite eager to give you a set of criteria if you let it. So I think it's fair to say that by any conventional measure, a mere seven years after my graduation day, I had failed on an epic scale. An exceptionally short-lived marriage had imploded, and I was jobless, a lone parent, and as poor as, as it is possible to be in modern Britain without being homeless. The fears that my parents had had for me and that I had, had had for myself had both come to pass. And by every usual standard, I was the biggest failure I knew. Why do I talk about the benefits of failure? Simply because failure means a stripping away of the inessential. I stopped pretending to myself that I was anything other than what I was and began to direct all of my energy into finishing the only work that mattered to me. Had I really succeeded at anything else, I might never have found the determination to succeed in the one arena I believed I truly belonged. I was set free. We have all heard the phrase, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. And those words are correct. 
According to Rowling, when we reach that point, when we have nothing left to lose, when we have been stripped of all but our essential self, when we no longer fear because our greatest fears have become reality, that's the point at which we may very well create our best work. Thankfully, we do not have to fail on epic proportions. We need only strip away our pride, our envy, our timidity, and learn to lean on God's guidance. But that is difficult to do. All too often, we buy into, into lies that grow our fear. One of the great fears writers have is that they will never be published. Jennifer Cruzy talks about this in her post, a writer without a publisher is like a fish without a bicycle. Cruzy says women were once fed four great lies. Writers, she states, are being fed four corresponding lies. And this is true not just of writers, but anyone who does any type of work, I believe. I will summarize the, these fears, these lies, here with my own thoughts. The first lie that women were told is that marriage made them real women. Cruzy says in the same way, writers are fed the lie that being published makes us real writers. We are not to be ashamed that we are unpublished. Every single writer once stood in the same shoes. Were great writers less great before publication? I love reading biographies of writers. Many struggled to become published and many never knew fame in their own lifetimes. Most wrote in relative obscurity, yet they were real writers. We must proclaim the truth. Writers are real writers, whether validated or not. Whatever you choose to do in life, whatever work it is, validation does not make you any better or any worse. It is your work ethic, your loyalty in making the best of whatever you have chosen to do. When we do our best work focused on God, endeavoring to please Him, it is God who makes us real and gives us our reward. The second lie, lie for women, according to Cruzy, was they must change themselves to wrangle a husband. For writers, it is we must change our writing to wrangle a publisher. I think this is even more true if we're writing for the Christian market. Some Christian publishers expect certain things when they receive a manuscript. Writers can go crazy trying to meet those expectations. This is the thing. If we are truly Christians, we should be writing books that reflect who we are as Christians as we are writing. We should not be writing to please a publisher an agent, our critique partners, our spouses, our friends, or even our fellow Christians. We should not try to conform our writing to their beliefs of correct Christianity. Because, you know, we might be the, one, the ones who are right. They might be the ones who are wrong. We don't know until we get our words out there and let them be evaluated. evaluated. So whom then are we writing to please? No one, not even ourselves. What do I mean? I will attempt to explain. Writing or any work we do, 
is a gift only made possible by other gifts. You and I have received gifts, such as having a desk, having a computer, having the ability to read instructions, and having the strength to even sit upright. Those are all gifts. We don't think of them as that, but they are all gifts, many that we take for granted. When we work, we take those gifts given to us to create other gifts. And you know, let me give this as, as an example, because it's true in any kind of work that we do. A person may have the ability to drive a truck. That's a gift. And the ability to speak, that is a gift. This person may have a job delivering propane gas. They take their gifts, the ability to drive a truck, the ability to speak, the ability to walk, the ability to see, the ability to hear, in order to drive the truck and make deliveries of the product. And then people can take the gift of that delivery in order to heat their homes or to do other things with the propane gas. We do not, not see these everyday things as gifts, but all abilities that we have, even those that we do not think very highly of, give us the capacity to work. If we are thankful for these gifts, we will use them to the best of our ability. So you see that we are not trying to please anyone when we are doing work. What we are doing is obeying the commandment of God. God gave even the first man and woman in the garden. He gave them work to do. And that's just our job. That's what we are to do. And we're to do it to the best of our ability. We take the gifts that God gives us and use them to the best of our ability. Creation yearns for life, even in the mundane. And we must endeavor to birth the best within our own limited human resources. Although fueled, of course, by God's great power, let us be thankful for the small gifts God has given us and use them without focusing on whether we please the world. This means we write our work with dedication, with a focus as narrow as a laser beam, aimed at reflecting God within that gift. When we write in this way or do any work in this way, that is, in submission to God, we ultimately will have pleased ourselves, and in so doing, perhaps will please a few others along the way. The truth is that we as Christian writers should not distort our gift, but remain focused on making it the best. We must trust that God will lead us on the right path. Allow me to add that this does not mean to be arrogant and unyielding to correction. Others may guide and correct us along the way, but as we are working, we should forget all else and focus on the creation. Because think for a minute, if the guy driving the, the truck with the propane gas, what if he was focusing on something else instead of on his driving? Would he be able to drive correctly? Of course not. So while we are working, 
we must be focused on whatever that work is. Trying to please others while we are doing the actual work will leave us confused, paralyzed, or unfocused. Now to the third lie that Cruzy delineates in her post. Any husband was better than no husband. According to Cruzy, the corollary for writers is any publication is better than no publication. This often makes writers desperate and they throw themselves at anyone and everyone. They spam Facebook walls. They send unsolicited emails. They pitch in bathrooms. It's an ugly sight and it's not as common as it once was. Uh, writers need to retain their dignity as do other workers. Let me expand this one to the lie, anyone buying my book is better than no one. Well, that might be true if we're only interested in the, the material value of our book. But if we think of our book or our writing or any other thing we do has integral worth, and hopefully we have done to make it so, it deserves to not be thrown at people willy-nilly, and that includes publishers. We should look for a publisher who's a good fit for our book or else self-publish. Engaging in a constant search for success will lead us to prostitute our gifts. We must proclaim the truth. We will treat our work with the dignity it deserves and not search for success at any cost, finding the right fit, the right job for us to do, to do the right job where we're able to do our best work is more important than losing our integrity. And the fourth line that women were once told is that even a bad marriage was better than no marriage. For writers, it is staying in a bad relationship with a publisher is better than no relationship with a publisher. And again, this indicates what we think we and our work are worth. Are they worth, are they worth being taken advantage of, ignored, or browbeaten by unscrupulous employers? We must proclaim the truth. If we value our work and ourselves, we will refuse to stay in an unhealthy relationship with any employer. Because of fear, we often buy into these four lies. Let's summarize them. The first lie is that we in our work are worthless if we do not receive validation. The second lie is we must change the vision of our work for it to be accepted. The third lie is that immoral, dishonest, or hurtful ways we achieve success are fine as long as we make money. The fourth lie is even if we, even if we are being exploited, it's better than finding other work or working on our own. To rid ourselves of these fears, let's replace the lies with these truths. One, whether or not we receive validation from the world, we must meet God's expectations and work diligently using the gifts we have been given. Two, our work should not be distorted to fit someone else's idea of what is right. 
trust God to guide us in perfecting the work we do. Three, our work should be treated with dignity. We should not be ashamed when we do our best. Fourth, our work is worthwhile. It does not lose its intrinsic worth, even if it is not profitable in the eyes of the world. God tells us throughout the Bible to fear not. He is with us. I truly believe if we will trust God, He will not forsake us, but will lead us in the way. Let's trust Him to guide us while we do our very best work. Let us cast away our fears, proclaim truth, and work with diligence and joy. When we surrender all, when we have nothing left to lose, we will be free to work and create without fear. And instead of stinking, we will become the pleasing aroma of Christ. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening, and I will be talking to you later. Bye.